It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me Austin! Oh son of a bitch! What? It's me Austin! It was me all along Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new World Order of Wrestling, brother. Welcome, everyone, to the final edition of 1997 of Reliving the War for the WWF. Seems funny to say this, but it is December 1997, even though it's also December 2021. But uh, my name is Nims Azor, joined, as always, by my co-host and partner in crime, Simon Tackler, as we do what it says on the tin and relive the Monday Night Wars. And Simon... We've done a full calendar year of WWF pay-per-views. We're at D-Generation X in your house, and we we you've said this throughout the year, but seeing where everyone was at the Royal Rumble 1997, and then when you finally put this pay-per-view on, it's like two completely different companies, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If we compare this to uh, December 1996, December 1997, this is a totally different show. People are gone. You know, people have come in. Everyone's a different character. It's yeah, it's really cool to see. It's it's such a, a huge culture shock, and it just goes to show how much the WWE had to pivot, which is something that you know a lot of people criticize that they don't do these days with like AEW and there. But when WCW was breathing down their necks, like they really, really, and we see it. This is a perfect example of them doing a very, very big turn. But let's get straight into. D-Generation X in your house. Now, off the bat, I'm going to start off with, it's spelt D-Generation like D-E. Like, did you notice that to start it, off? What's really weird is that, yeah, on, on like the poster, and I remember the video, it was D-E-Generation X. <clears throat> it obviously, like after that, was always D-Generation. Yeah, yeah. It's so I think this whole thing was... There were so many different stories as to who created DX, where the idea started. The most recent version I've heard was like, I think on something to wrestle with when they covered it in that the WWE, um, like creative services or whatever, came up with this as a pay-per-view name first before it was the group's name. Then other people will say, no, it was the New York newspaper writer Phil Mushnick who wrote D-Generation X as a headline to describe how, you know, wrestling was full of degenerates and it was terrible. And then Shawn Michaels took it or Vince Russo and they ran with it. It's a whole mess. But, yeah, it's interesting to see that it's been spelt different ways. And also the cover of the um, poster and, you know, the artwork on WWE Network it's blue, and obviously later on, the signature color would be green. So yeah. it all feels like it's almost there, but not. The only thing that's settled, though, is the theme music, because yeah. the theme music for this pay-per-view is the DX theme song. So I'd love to know, was it created for the show first or the faction, you know? And and there's so many. We, we go back to that, too, because, like, so as recently as One Night Only, this faction didn't have a name. 
And there's, I've also heard the story that, you know, like it was Bret Hart that coined it. Cause remember he referred to me in a promo as you're nothing but a pack of degenerates. <laughs> yeah. And so this, yeah, it'll, it'll just be like one of those weird things. But at the same time, remember the first time that Hulk Hogan mentioned NWO, it's new world organizations. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Speaking of the NWO, do you, did you find that it's a very NWO-style intro to this uh, sort of pay-per-view, but it's almost done better? Yeah, it kind of was. I thought that was it was a very WCW opening in that it kind of felt like a commercial and it was kind of short, but, yeah, similar to the NWO where it was like, Shawn Michaels, and then it was another female voice saying, he's so sexy and, like, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, it was, really, it was really good, though. It was WWE doing what they do, just outproducing the competition. And it's so funny too, because the first thing I thought was like, oh, this this is just straight up NWO. But at the same time, it's like, but it's done so much better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and quick cuts, you know, strippers and carnage and then Triple H. It was like, I, I can't remember what she said about him, but it was something similar. Like he's so cool or whatever. Yeah, it, it's funny because they, they obviously got, it, it, the best way I can sort of uh, describe the female VO was like, it was it was very much like one of those late night one nine hundred numbers sort of vo's like that was yep. the sort of aura they were sort of going for. But uh, it, Jr. and King welcome us to the pay per view. It's a pretty basic sort of set entrance to it, just a lowercase d with a big metal X, which I thought it's the one thing that always stood out to me because I can't quite remember this pay per view, mm. but that set always stood out. And um, one funny thing that I really enjoyed was Jr. and King. They're hyping up the pay per view, talking about everything that's there, and. Uh, they mention the return of Jeff Jarrett taking on The Undertaker, which is something that I completely forgot happened. And until that point, I'm like, whoa, this was a thing? I made note of that too. I thought that was really funny that one of the big selling points was the return of Jeff Jarrett, you know, <laughs> and also a tough man contest between Mark Merrow and Butterbean. I was like, yeah, we're into full attitude era now if these are the weird things we're expecting on a show. Just to really ramp up the attitude, like we are smack bang, we've taken a full right driving down attitude era sort of boulevard here. We start off with two sexy Brian Christopher versus Tucker Michinoku. Now, one thing that I noticed, and I don't know if this was on the original, but does does Brian Christopher come out to Droz's music? Oh, you're going too inside the music <laughs> for me to remember. <laughs> if this was Dross's music, I couldn't tell you what Dross's music is, but you could be right. I'm going to take your word for it. Because I, I and another thing too that I found interesting was uh, like, well, first off, so Brian Christopher is too sexy, Brian Christopher. But when they show the bracket of the tournament of how everyone got to where they are, mm -hmm. and this is the final of the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, and they're going to crown the winner here. Scott Taylor is is not too hot, Scott Taylor. He's just Scott Taylor. He's not too hot yet. Yeah. He becomes too hot later because I always remembered they feuded before teaming up. It was kind of a Billy Gunn and Road Dog thing. Yeah. The only yeah. people they could beat were each other and then they teamed up. Of course. Okay, there you go. That part I, just completely slipped my mind. <laughs> I do love, though, for people who maybe just caught on later to... to um, to what's it called like too cool and everything they would do later on with Rikishi and they know them as Scotty too hottie and Grandmaster, Grandmaster. Sexay. It's really funny that their names were just too hot and 
What was it? Now yeah. I'm confused. So it, so it was too <laughs> hot. It was it was too hot. Scott Taylor and yeah, too, sexy too sexy Brian Christopher. And yeah, together, they, just, they were too much. Too much. That's right. See, I'm just too everything. Too cool. Too much. Too hot. But it is funny how they would then just sort of change the names and yeah, urban and them up. Had, and they had a really weird, like sort of like tribal music, not tribal music, but like Amazonian sort of theme. Like it was just bizarre. The Attitude Era when we we're in like. If we think like we've got a lot to get catch, like 1998 is going to be a hell of a culture shock, I reckon. For us, oh, yeah. But um, <laughs> the, um, now, did you think it was a pretty decent pop for Tucker Michinoku as well? Yeah, I, th- I think we're seeing it. Tucker was pretty over with the crowd, not to the levels of Dean Malenko or Rey Mysterio in WCW, but Tucker was a cult favorite for fans in the arenas. And I think even for any of us who grew up watching it through that time. We all like Tucker. He was impressive. Yeah. And we're like, oh, he's really good. You know, the pre-Kai and Tai Tucker had a lot of good matches. Well, pre-Kai and Tai, choppy choppy or pee-pee uh, Kai and Tai, but post-indeed sort of <laughs> Tucker Michinoku. There's like a weird limbo there for him where he's just absolutely killing it at this part. But uh, it's funny. So you bring up uh, Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio because like the nearest thing we've got to compare this to is a WCW Cruiserweight match. And a WWE light heavyweight match is not the same as uh, a, it's basically junior heavyweights because 215 pounds is the limit, but they sort of do a WWE main event style, but with a couple of high flying moves sprinkled here and there. Like it's, it's, it's the best way I can sort of describe it is it's kind of like how you used to play revenge or WCW um, or WWF No Mercy. You know, you got to build up before you can do the flashy moves. Yeah, and that's kind of what they do. Yeah, it isn't like a WCW Cruiser match where it's completely different to the main event. There isn't much difference between the moves these guys do and what Shawn Michaels and Ken Shamrock do. And maybe that's kind of why it always failed in WWE. They didn't let them go, you know, X Division style and go full on. But this was still good. The wrestling in this match was very good. And you mentioned the weight limit. I took note of that too. 215 pounds is the limit. Most yeah. wrestlers now aren't two fifteen. Like it's weird, <laughs> so weird to think that. It is crazy. And uh, like, did you, first off, too, talking about weight limits and stuff like that. Did you notice Jerry Lawler's poorly uh, poor Japanese Disneyland joke in there? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Do you want to repeat it? I'll re- I'll repeat okay, it go. because he because he goes like this: Disneyland in Japan. Like first off, because. We just mentioned how much smaller these guys were to the regular dudes. And um, <laughs> Jerry Lawler goes, Disneyland in Japan failed because no one was uh, was tall enough to get on the ride. Terrible stuff. <laughs> it's just awful stuff from uh, from Jerry the Kid Lawler. But it, another recurring theme too is people chanting Jerry's kid and him just denying that he's Brian Christopher's father, which is quite funny because JR just berates him the entire time. Yeah, it's such a funny gimmick. Um, No one's done it since, but it's great. Their chemistry, we're really seeing um, King and JR start to do their best stuff because Vince McMahon is not a commentator anymore. So now we're really ramping it up with just JR and just King and their chemistry gets better and better. And this was one of their, you know, original sort of running things. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty good combo too, and it and you kind of when people look fondly back to like you know like Monsoon and uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan, this is why they sort of get mentioned in that same sort of combo because it was the voice for generation. It it, it kind of makes me think that maybe later on people are going to be thinking of Cole and I don't know Tom Phillips's uh, 
<laughs> the voice of a generation. But, um, no disrespect to either of those guys, but it's not the same dynamic. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I did find interesting that I just made a note of too is like, Brian Christopher is really just here to take Takamichinoku's offense, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Like he just takes three dives to the outside and it's really good though. I think Brian Christopher, watching him back, he's kind of underrated because as a kid, you would watch these matches and just be amazed at all these, you know, innovative things Tucker was doing. Like he does springboard dives and moonsaults. It's all great, but you kind of take Brian Christopher for granted because he's really good in this match too. Yeah, he is. And I've just written down here, one is flippy, Tucker. One is power, Brian mm. Christopher, which basically sort of sums it up. But it's a cool little clash of styles. And when Tucker Michinoku hits the Michinoku driver and gets the win, the crowd legit loses their mind. There is a legitimate standing ovation for Taka Michinoku winning the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, they were, you know, willing him on through these months. He was the, you know, the underdog getting screwed by these slightly bigger guys. And, you know, he's had these matches and done moves that no one in WWE has been doing before. And it was really cool. It was the way to end this tournament because, you know, sometimes they'll do a tournament or whatever and the, the main person or the good guy will get screwed right at the end to build heat yeah. or whatever. This was like, no, nah, here's the happy ending. Tucker wins. That's it. Because Jerry Lawler kind of interfered at one point. He helped Brian Christopher up. They could have easily just said, oh, Lawler, you know, helps his son win. But no, they went for the happy ending. And then the Japanese media got into the ring and took photos of Tucker with the belt. And like some of the officials came out. It was like Briscoe and Patterson and Tony Gurria. And it was weird. Up until that point, I forgot that Tony Gurria uh, existed. And I just thought, geez, Vince looks bad <laughs> after Survivor Series. And then it was like, oh, wait, that's not Vince. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to our next match. And we start off with an absolute barn burner. It gets the pay-per-view <laughs> off and running. And man, oh, man, does it hit a handbrake with the next match. It's Los Barricas versus DOA. And oh, my stars. First off, it starts off on the most horrible of notes with Los Barricas rapping their theme music incredibly poorly on the way out. I don't know what they were thinking. Obviously, Nation of Domination had two rappers in the group. Did they think, oh, yeah, let's get someone else to rap? What about you Puerto Rican guys? None of them can rap. None of them can hold a tune. This was to, They were completely out of sync, even with the backing track. I felt so bad for all of them. It looked like uh, it looked like a father for bride uh, trying to work a microphone at a wedding. That's <laughs> yeah. how bad it was. It was just so awful. And so Savio Vega, who is the leader of uh, Los Barricas, he's not part of the match, but he's ringside for the Barricas. And Crush, who is the leader of DOA, isn't part of this match now. He's no longer with the company. But the last thing that happens to him is he gets taken out by Kane on an episode of Monday Night Raw, mm. which is quite fitting because that's also how Brian Adams lost his job <laughs> the second time around <laughs> in the WWF and the invasion when him and Brian Clark came back as chronic. Yeah, he Kane is his curse. You know, that's that's who sends him packing. It's really funny, though, because maybe they thought he was going to come back because at one point, JR was like, oh, we send our best, best wishes to Crush, to who's crush, injured. Yeah. <laughs> like, nah, he's gone. He's out of here. I was reading about it. You know, he quit because of the Montreal screw job. He was one of the guys, along with Rick Rude, who was so outraged and 
his morals were so high that he had to leave and go to WCW. It's so weird. That's such an odd one because I can't imagine, like, I could sort of see Rick Rude because he's an old school dude, but Crush, like, yeah, I, I can't see them sort of like, uh, like, oh, my buddy Brett, how dare he? Meanwhile, mm. Jim Neidhart is still on Raw. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> Owen anyway. stayed with WWE, but anyway. Yeah, this is true. Um, so we get to the match, and all, I got, all I've written down is, uh, Miguel's back is hairy. Mm. All of Los Bariquas look like backyard wrestlers. <laughs> look, I didn't realize this, but in the match, JR mentioned that every member of Los Bariquas, aside from Savio Vega, like the three in the match, all of them were second generation wrestlers. I well, didn't know that. first? Who was the first generation? They might have been better. And, you know, they, you know, somehow convinced convince Vince McMahon to hire all their sons and oh, come on, Vince, give him a shot. And on. what's the worst that could happen, Vince? Like <laughs> I, I have written down here, I've literally written in capital letters, nothing off notes. No. Except for except for a shave your back chant. What which is funny. That might be the first shave your back chant, of course, before A Train. I'll be honest, I didn't think anyone got that before A Train. So there you go. Miguel Perez, the uh, originator of the Shave Your Back chant. <laughs> oh, this is just, this was just an awful match. Just after you have a great opener like that one, this is just, I don't know. I'm being too harsh on this because I just thought there is nothing redeeming about this match at all. I think we're DOA'd out, honestly. Yeah. Like we've seen them so much in 97. Please stop with all of this. And I know in 98, we're done with all the gang wars. Like, at a certain point, it's the corporation, DX, and, you know, nation for a little bit, but we get rid of this crap. So, with Crush gone, just end it. Well, there's yeah. no DOA, you know. Yeah, the faction is DOA. Like, <laughs> yeah. Full stop. But, uh, look, we'll get to the, we'll speed this up because Miguel, he fakes an injury. He plays possum. Uh, he, he he sort of comes off the top rope and injures his leg. Then there's a whole bunch of shenanigans. Savio tries to like, oh, look, I'll, I'll tag him. But the referee's having absolutely none of it. Meanwhile, oh, the dastardly Miguel. And this always takes me back because I, I love um, heel justification, Jerry the King Lawler, because he's like, oh, what a tremendous recovery. You know, like yeah. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> As he steals the win. Um, and all I got to say is the crowd is so indifferent. Oh, they don't care. I think they just wanted this to end. There were points in this show where if it was boring, the crowd wouldn't even play along. They were like, no, we're just going to sit here. Like, yeah. if it wasn't really good, this crowd was like, no. Nah. So even when, you know, oh, no, DOA was screwed, they were like, yeah, we don't care. Move yeah, on. Just like, look, we are done. We are done here. But uh, we'll get to our next little segment, and it's Butterbean backstage with Doc Hendricks. Butterbean going to be yes. I didn't realize that Butterbean was this involved in the WWF. Yeah, Butterbean, you know, most famously in a few months, we're going to see him knock out Bart Gunn at WrestleMania 15. But yeah, no, his original little feud was with marvelous Mark Merrow. You know, he was yeah. there for a few months. So Butterbean here can't even string a sentence together. Like the little, <laughs> the little, him with Doc Hendricks, he's just like, oh, but uh, look, I don't even want to talk about it. You're like, <laughs> Good steer out of it, mate. Well done. <laughs> it's almost like they were like, hey, Butterbean. So for people who don't know, Butterbean was a super heavyweight boxer who looked like a giant cartoon character. He was a bald, fat guy, and he was famous for just knocking out like other fat losers because he the super like heavyweight Bundy. division. Yeah, actually, you're right. 
King Kong Bundy in boxing shorts. Yeah. It was almost like they asked him, hey, do you want to cut a promo? And he was like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to. And then when the camera was rolling, he was like, oh, I can't do this because he yeah. wraps himself up and it's weird. He's like, oh, I can't do this. And Doc Hendricks takes over. It's so awkward. Good on him for having the self-awareness to go, oh, I'm, I'm a bit too deep here. <laughs> Just sort of end it. <laughs> um, Michael Cole then throws to a little recap package, which is just basically how much of a douche Mark Amero is. And he is in full douchebag mode. So you really know that he's a heel. Yeah, I got to say, uh, heel Mark Mero, I'm really shocked that it didn't work out better for him. I know there was injuries and stuff, but he's pretty entertaining. He's pretty good at this. You watch these little clips of him being sort of, you know, I guess kind of, you know, abusive to Sable and he yells at her and he's like the asshole husband. He's yeah. pretty good at it. He's really good. And all I get to say is like, it's a big old 180 from the wild man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we get to the tough man match. Mark Mero is out first. I've written down here, Butterbean comes out dressed like a MAGA rally. Uh, <laughs> everyone is kitted out in like American flags and whatnot. But all I, all I wanted to know, the first note that I've written down is, what is the early Attitude Era obsession with putting boxing on these cards? I know. I actually wrote these fights are never good because we see this, we see the one with Bart Gunn, and in between this, we, of course, see Brawl for All. It's Brawl like, for all. we don't want this. If I went to watch a wrestling show, I don't want to see boxing, you know? Yeah. I'm here to watch wrestling. We do have to talk about Butterbean's music, though, because I was literally laughing out loud <laughs> because I forgot that his music was just like 80s sitcom fat guy music. <laughs> <laughs> Did he know that they chose this music? So it's like keyboards and a, a tuba or something, and it's like honk, 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 and it's like real jaunty and yeah, yeah. It's it's a sort of thing that would have someone you know uh, turn to. It's like Norm from Cheers. Sort of music. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. It, it definitely screamed Butterbean though, because you know, in the same way, like. Sid's music was Psycho Sid. Shawn Michaels is Sexy Boy. This was definitely Butterbean. So 100% Butterbean here. Did you happen to notice too that for a brief period, JR and King just stopped commentating? Oh, did they? Yeah. There must have been some really offensive commentary that was cut out maybe. I don't know. It was either that or they've just gone, I don't know what we're going to say here. um, Another good bit was like, I love there was a graphic that flashes up on the screen briefly that says, Mero, Black Trucks. (laughs) Butterbean, blue and red, like you'd confuse the two? <laughs> I saw that too. In round two, it flashed up. So, you know, in boxing, sometimes that makes sense if two guys look the same, just to differentiate. No one is confusing Butterbean and Mark Merrow. That was great. But this yeah, was, like we- what was it, three rounds or five rounds? It was just no need for it, though. Did you did you notice uh, Mark Mero botching drinking water? Where, <laughs> no, I didn't. So, so, so this is the best bit. Like, and it it was so easy to tune out this match, but this is something I noticed. So he's in the corner, like in between. I think it's maybe the second or the third round, and his trainer is there with like one of those pop top drink bottles and like hyping him up, and he's trying to spray the water bottle into his mouth, but the lid, the pop top lid, is still on. Oh no! But Mark Mero is like waiting to get the water. <laughs> And the trainers desperately try to get it. And then the camera just cuts back to the wide shot of the ring. Come on, your trainer's got one job, and that's to pop the top of the pump bottle. 
it's this is not a good match. I, don't, I can't even judge this as a wrestling match because it's just awful. There's a, there's a bit where Butterbean, in between rounds, he pours the bucket of ice water on Mark Merrow. And uh, there is a, yeah, it's, I don't know. It just, just seemed really poor. And did you happen to notice there was a very well-timed sign in the crowd that said, who booked this? Mm-hmm. I made note of that. That must be the first time we see that in the WWE because it would be a running thing through all the promotions, you know, who booked this or who booked this crap or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was hilarious and perfect timing for this match. It was perfect timing, but yeah, look, eventually Butterbean wins, but Miro gets a low blow and he uses the stool as a chair shot kind of thing, which is a very hilarious visual. Okay. Mark Miro's low blow though, should be in the hall of fame of low blows. Because Butterbean is facing the other way. Mero gets him from behind. He doesn't just do the straight up China, you know, uppercut. uppercut he yeah. does a windmill like a cartoon. <laughs> he windmills his arm to get more momentum. And then it's like, ding, there should have been a bell there. It was great. <laughs> it should have been. And the best part is too, as as he's like heading back to the back to the uh back to the back. Um, JR accidentally referred to him as the wild man before correcting himself <laughs> <No>. shortly afterwards. <laughs> Vince was like, he's not the wild man. The wild man was a great upstanding man with his lovely wife. <laughs> there was a sign in the crowd, though. Remember all the WCW, um, what do they call it? Is it an anagram? You know, where it's like a word. Oh, yeah. So it'd be like wheelchair thing. wrestling yeah. WCW or uh, things like that. Yeah. It's not an anagram. It's something else, and I've stuffed that oh, up. Whatever. Whatever anyway, it is, yeah. Isn't it? I don't know. Some English nerds can get angry at us. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. the sign said WCW, and it said we can't wrestle. And I was like, I don't remember that. It's so simple, but it was. I remember that either. Yeah, we can't wrestle, WCW. Also, I'm pretty sure that's an anagram. That's an anagram, is that, isn't I it? Know, I don't know. I'm really pretty sure. Now. I'm pretty sure that's an anagram. Yeah, because <laughs> I always remember it was like... Yeah, because I never saw the We Can't Wrestle one. No, I no, an remember. anagram is when you like a word that means another word when you rearrange its letters. Oh, right. Okay. I don't want to commit go. to saying that and we're wrong. But anyway, all right. You know, all we right. know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but yeah, going back to what I say, uh, what it was good to say, the one that used to always stand it was like um, WCW was um, wheelchair wrestling because it had old guys. And Jerry Lawler had ECW as extremely crappy wrestling. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> they were the two big ones and they stuck. They would hammer those all the time. But oh. we've mentioned so many times where age is such a weird thing because we called them wheelchair wrestling and it was guys in their late 30s and early 40s. <laughs> so many guys now are like 40 and main eventing. Not only that, like guys like Randy Orton are like headed towards the wrong end of 42, <laughs> yeah. which is Randy Orton is older than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in the NWO, and you would not call him an old man. Crazy, absolutely crazy stuff there. Um, we then get to a little weird segment with the artist formerly known as Goldust. And this is a gimmick that I completely forgot happened until then. He comes out and reads some weird Dr. Seuss style um poetry, and all I've written is awful segment, and 1997 was very odd. Look, you know what's weird? We've both mentioned we didn't really remember much of this pay-per-view. When they came out and Goldust started the uh, Green Eggs and Ham reading, mm. this came all back to me. Like, I remembered this. This was annoying as a kid and it was annoying now, but basically Goldust in the weirdest outfit, 
and Luna's got him on a leash. Goldust does voices and he basically reads all of Green Eggs and Ham. And it is, look, it gets heat from the crowd. It's bizarre, but yeah, not not the best time in uh, the career of Dustin Rhodes. No, and the one th- one last one before we move on to the next bit, the bit that so I also had a little little moment of like, oh, that's right, I remember this bit, but it wasn't. It was a sort of flashback to, oh wait, Goldust had this gimmick because the music was his original, and it started off with that weird like, like the, ah, oh, I can't like you know those weird sounds, and then goes into his Goldust theme. Like it was just that's the sort of thing that like unlocked a part of my mind like hey remember this gimmick yeah i remember his little girl voice reading the book that's what brought it back to me luna was great in this role um it's kind of a shame they it wasn't anything else like it was just this weird short thing she did with gold dust and then it kind of tapers off but anyway that, that it seems like it could have gone somewhere but it kind of just fizzles out in a few months Speaking of uh, odd promos, we then get to our stock standard LOD promo. And all I can say is Animal is bordering on Scott Steiner-esque <laughs> English here at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> Animal, as the months have gone on, he's cutting himself off. He's yelling and he doesn't even finish like the last letter of each word before starting the next word. It's hard to explain. He's talking faster than his brain knows the words. And it's just a mess. Although you said like, you know, nothing to this promo or stock standard promo. This Hawk promo was insane. When Animal goes to Hawk, and and before we get to the main part of the promo, shout out to Hawk and mark this down. This is the first time anyone calls Billy Gunn Mr. Ass because it's a throwaway line. He says, Mr. Dog and Mr. Ass, which is pretty (laughs) funny. And then they obviously ran with it. Um, But yeah, he then compares them to a booger that's stuck in his nose. And he goes into detail about picking it and digging in and then rolling it. And he like motions with his fingers. Yeah. And to flick it, like to flick it. And, and then finishes off with going, Oh, what a booger. What a booger. (laughs) What a booger. Like, what the hell is he thinking? He lost his mind. Did he do this promo and think they weren't rolling? And they were like, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) We're going with that one. But yeah. Or whoever was filled with that promo just goes, look, it's probably going to get worse. (laughs) Give him the nod and go. (laughs) Vince watched it. He was like, this was the best take. And they were like, yeah, you don't want to see the others. That being said, though, even though they were just too... And Father Time is sort of slowly getting the jabs in as we speak. But um, LOD still gets a massive pop when they come out of the gate. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you get the famous New Age Outlaws sort of entrance. But it's not quite the New Age Outlaws entrance, is it? Yeah, I, I thought it was funny because, you know, we, we've got the music now. The Outlaws are the tag champions. You know, they're wrestling LOD. It's almost perfect but Road Dog's rhythm isn't there because we all know there's like a cadence to... Oh, Oh, you didn't know? He was slightly off and not to the beat that you would expect. So I thought that stood out to me. His promo was good, though. His promo was fantastic. But like I said, I just just kept getting distracted by the fact that it wasn't matching the theme music because I was so used to having him do it so perfectly as recently as like wrestlemania 30 they were doing it and this one is just because it's still obviously early days but essentially they referred to 
um, LEDs, dinosaurs. He comes out saying, welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> and it, he's he isn't quite doing the pre-match spiel to perfection, but he's definitely got like, he's edgy. He's been like this sort of stuff that would probably make, I don't know, the old guard sort of go, Ugh. and the best thing that I could sort of describe it is it's a great correlation between what an old school pr- pre-match promo was and what a new school pre-match promo was. Yeah, actually, that's true. Great contrast going from LOD who have their LOD style to Road Dog, who was absolutely an innovator and one of the standout talkers through his whole run in the Attitude Era. One of the best ever, you know, of that style of promo. Now, there's a lot of stalling at the start of this match uh, until the Stooges, uh, Joe Briscoe and Pat Patterson, who are getting a lot of screen time <laughs> at the moment. Um, they sort of send them back. And uh, it's a LOD in 1997 don't seem to mesh with any tag team they get in the ring with it's kind of weird it's like it's uh, it feels like two matches happening at once but sometimes it clicks and it works like it clicked at wrestlemania 13 with the street fight with the nation or we've seen weird matches where you know it's pretty good this wasn't bad but the new age outlaws as heels a complete you know chicken you know what heels they yeah. don't do anything. They basically just get beat up the whole time. Billy Gunn takes a while to even get tagged in. Mm. Yeah, Road yeah. Dog just gets his ass kicked. Although Hawk does do some high flying. He does an apron clothesline to the outside that was kind of cool. Every now and then, Hawk would just do something that you're like, why would this guy who's this big do it? And it's kind of cool. <laughs> going, actually supporting it, going back to your little thing, how like, um you know, like on occasion, LOD clicks with something like The Nation. It's not, it's not rhyme nor reason of who they click with. Because remember, we've seen them have matches with Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, and they were awful. Yeah, some of those weren't good, but we saw that one a couple of months ago where it was LOD versus three guys from The Nation, and it was really good. Really good none yeah. of it made sense. You know? it, it's so strange. But yeah, like, like you mentioned, it's really... um. LOD just you know taking taking uh, the New Age Outlaws you know giving the giving the heels what for until Henry Godwin comes out the minute Henry Godwin came out I'm like oh no we still get more Godwins for crying out loud uh, he hits Animal with the slop bucket and then Hawk loses his mind and just mm. completely takes out everyone with the slop bucket and gets them DQ yeah kind of a shame for this to end in DQ like so far we saw. You know, that crappy ending with Miguel faking an injury. Now we've got Godwin's running in. (laughs) We've got the remnants of 96 still over this. We don't need DOA and we don't need any more Godwin's. But great to see the New Age Outlaws finally being the New Age Outlaws. And also, I didn't realize they formed and then won the tag titles really quickly. I didn't. Yeah, it always seemed to me like this was, you know, post-WrestleMania 18 that they sort of won the tag titles, like after their, you know, Battle of the Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. Like, I always thought it was 98 where they sort of hit their stride. I didn't realize it was that early too. So uh, we talked about how the clash of styles between like an LOD promo and a New Age Outlaws promo. We see that even more so in the next match with Sergeant Slaughter. Basically, what is he doing here? Is he declaring war on Triple H? I think he was because he said it a few times. We see this promo, you know, in the lead up to their boot camp match where he kept saying, this will be your day of infamy, Triple H. And and then Michael Cole did the voiceover for this video where they're like, 
after nearly a decade, you know, Sergeant Slaughter is bringing back the Cobra clutch and we see old footage and like, you know, when a general goes to war, he has to have a battle plan. And they had photos of like Winston Churchill and Theodore Roosevelt and like JFK. And they were like, and Sergeant Slaughter. And, and like, you know, like missiles being shot and all of this sort of <laughs> stuff. It was just bizarre. Mixed with like 70s wrestling highlights. It was the most weird promo. But I yeah, can't Sergeant... do it with Sergeant Slaughter anymore. When I found out a couple of years ago that he was never in the military, it's com- <laughs> honestly completely ruined him. And I know like The Undertaker isn't a zombie and whatever, but for some reason, Sergeant Slaughter not really being in the army has just, I don't know, just gross because he would always act like he really was. The man had um, G.I. Joe lines as well. Like He was part yeah. of like G- the G.I. Joe universe as well, yeah. based on his military background. <laughs> exactly. So, so you want to talk about stolen valor, Mike, <laughs> such a slaughter. Imagine they got him on charges for impersonating a military man. But then again, it's like Hulk Hogan. Remember when he had the Gawker case? He was like, no, in the video. You know, Terry Bollea has yeah. that penis size. He's like, not Hulk Hogan. Like not Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan's much different than Terry Bollea. <laughs> same thing with Slaughter. He was like, no, nah, no, nah, I never said, you know, uh, whatever his no, real Sergeant name is. Sla- <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter was a military man. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the Triple H promo is pretty good, too. I, I thought it was, um, here's a fun one, too. Um, that old school H cube shirt, you know, H to the power of three. Like I forgot that how cool that was. It's cool and shirt. it was all over it was all over like um early attitude era. He kept it as his branding, even like as face DX, that would be on his tights when he had the long tights. It was a cool logo. And this was the first real triple H promo we've seen on a pay-per-view where he yep. is triple H, no accent at all, not acting rich, just talking about his penis for a couple of minutes like this is triple h and the other cool thing about it too is he um like what were the jokes he says in this he talks about going past sergeant slaughter's house and like giving his wife the big bazooka and like yeah, smoking yeah. the bass pipe. It's like yeah, he, 10 dick jokes in a row. It's a lot. He's ba- he's basically going, you know, I got a lot of, I've got a lot of missiles in my <laughs> artillery and I'm happy to use all of them on you, Sergeant Slaughter, but there's only one missile I'm not going to use. I'm going to use that later with your wife. Yeah. And he's not like, there is no subtlety at all. Not at all. And then he does a crotch chop at the end and like walks off. And it was like, yeah, this guy's pretty cool. Like now we're seeing the real triple A. And the and the other thing I noticed too, immaculate hair. Oh my god, this is where it starts. Like, there's an era where Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and Kevin Nash feel like they're having like an in-click hair contest because, <laughs> and I think Triple H takes the lead at this stage. He looked like he was in a Pantene commercial. He 100 percent does. So we get to the match and uh, the DX entrance which I should point, I've written down here, is perfectly replicated on WWE 13 uh, <laughs> on, on Xbox. But uh, I forgot how jarring and, like, annoying and overproduced <laughs> that entrance is. I'm convinced when they reformed DX in 06, they toned it down. It didn't have as many camera cuts because yeah. watching this original version, and, you know, this is in the early days of it, there was, like, 20 cuts in five seconds and yeah. if you weren't ready for it yeah you were going to be sick 
it was almost like every second frame was like a camera cut to something else. But mm-hmm. look, we we then get we then it's get cool though. To, it's still good. It, it yeah. was very cool. Yeah, and very different. Um, then we get Sergeant Slaughter with a very very eighties promo, even like rubber stamp with him calling Triple H a maggot. And like we talk about LOD, like how, how like this could have been the the promo before WrestleMania six. Yeah, it was just yeah. This is where we're seeing the weird crossover from one era into another. You got Triple H being all cool and stuff, and then you got Sergeant Slaughter doing this. There's a reason why the crowd was kind of wanting to cheer Triple H in this match. Yeah, very much so. And um, so Sergeant Slaughter comes out to Kurt Angle's theme. <laughs> Uh, and did you did you make note of the fact that Jer- that um, Jr. mentioned that uh, Sergeant Slaughter had to get his wrestler's license again? I love that. It was like in '96 when we saw Owen Hart had to get a manager's license to accompany uh, Bulldog to the ring that time. So <laughs> I kind of like it. In this era, you still have to have a license. You know, you can't just and I'm coming back for a match. You know, you yeah, yeah, go for exactly. your license. I like the idea that he's sitting down doing paperwork, like, you know, the, the Saturday evening going, I got to do all my checks and balances <laughs> and then faxing it to like the athletic commission or something. To Vic Rhodes. Uh, or or if it's like your license, you've got to do a, a test. So yeah. it's like your opponent has you in a hammerlock. What do you do next? <laughs> you know, yes, do it go like behind, three. grab the leg. Yeah, it's three options. <laughs> grab a steel chair. And then like, that's wrong. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> Um, so this is actually, that's an interesting match. Cause like I, Sergeant Slaughter versus Triple H is not something that I really had on my list of matches. I really hope to see, but look, it, it's respectable what it is. Sarge takes Hunter to the woodshed and, um, but it's a, it's a back and forth because Sergeant Slaughter really gets his hands on Triple H version, you know, really does the, I'm the authority for, oh, I'm laying down the law here, mate. And then, and then Triple H sort of fights back. Yeah, it's weird because Triple H, we're not used to seeing Triple H getting his ass kicked. Yeah. But Which here happened surprisingly a lot in 1997, 98. Yeah, it did. And it's it's still weird to see because, you know, a couple of years later, you would never see him doing anything like this. But seeing mid-card heel Triple H like being scared of Sergeant Slaughter, like, nah. It, it was a bit jarring. I don't I think the crowd really didn't want to like Sergeant Slaughter. He really wasn't over as a face authority figure. There's something reckon, annoying about him. I reckon it was also the fact that, like, you've got Sergeant Slaughter, who looks like he's about 60, taking on this young dude. And, like, you know, it, it's, it's almost like watching a dad beat their son. And it's just <laughs> like, it's like this is, this is really not something that I want to cheer for. Well, the thing was, they mentioned that Sergeant Slaughter was 49. So he wasn't, you know, ancient, yeah, but wasn't that old. Yeah. definitely old. Whereas compared to Triple H, I think they mentioned he was, I think, got 20, got 20, 20 something. They said they were yeah. 20 years apart. So Triple H was in his late 20s, you know. Yeah. So the, the whole thing about this match is Sergeant Slaughter is going to put, once you put that Cobra clutch in, that's it for Triple H. But uh, mm. Triple H does take control and he sort of uses his little dastardly heel moves and gets the upper hand a little bit later on. Yeah, I think this match kicks into gear once China starts interfering because we've mentioned Triple H and China had amazing chemistry when it came to cheating and doing all the old school heel stuff. The biggest pop of the match, like once it got going, was China interfering and knocking out the ref. 
The crowd yeah. loved that. They wanted to see more of this. And then in a nice twist, I didn't see it coming either. She then goes to grab Sarge and he throws powder in her face, which I thought that was cool. Like he was ready. Yeah, it does a full like Mr. Fuji WrestleMania 9 style thing. And it's very, very cool. He put he then puts the Cobra clutch on Triple H. And then China, who's blinded, I should point out, and does a great job of selling the fact that you can't see, mm. uh, just absolutely kicks Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> to, to, to quote, to quote Dusty, Ro- Dusty, Ro- Dusty Rhodes, right in the vitals. Yeah, I know. I mentioned earlier that Mark Merrow's low blow could be in the Hall of Fame. This China one is up there too because she's in the corner and does a run up and kicks Sarge from behind, this, right in between the legs. Amazing this is field a, goal. This is a Feel, yes, I was just yeah. going to say the same thing. She full on looked like Tom Brady, just bam. So, and then uh, there's the pedigree on the chair, and uh, Triple H wins. That dastardly Helmsley uh, mm. seems to win. But uh, now, this is I want I want to get to the weeds just a little bit here for this next bit because we then go. Michael Cole is with Jeff Jarrett. I want to know what the hell is Jeff Jarrett wearing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I forget about this era of Jeff Jarrett. He wasn't a cowboy. He wasn't the shorts Jeff Jarrett yet. He had these, it was a jacket that had no sleeves, but the shoulders were like real pointy to the sides. The only comparison I can make, it was like the outer bit of the Power Rangers uniforms, you know, like yeah. the big triangle thing. What was he yeah. going for? It's obviously he wanted it to look stupid so he would get booed, but it was ridiculous. I've I've written down here. He looks like a cosplay Ultimo Dragon that you'd bring on a like a fancy dress day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it looked awful. Like like someone had just got fridge boxes and car- carved it out. Mm. And he also didn't have a mullet. So the two Jeff Jarretts we know, it's mullet Jeff Jarrett or like spiky hair Jeff Jarrett. This yeah. was Jeff Jarrett trying to have like slick hair. It's just real different. He was trying something different. It looked like he was trying to copy Kurt Hedig's hair. Oh, yes. He did have kind of slick Kurt Hedig hair. And then in the match, too, he kind of had a singlet. This yeah. was just not a Jeff Jarrett anyone remembers. I've written down here, um, Jeff Jarrett looks like a contestant on American Gladiators. Yeah, it did have a, a Gladiators, like, 90s vision of futuristic you know, like yes. everything's shiny and, ooh, we all wear triangles in the year 2000. <laughs> that kind of vibes. <laughs> um, now, I've, I've written down here, like, you've really got to feel for The Undertaker because he does his full entrance to get to Jeff Jarrett looking like a, looking like a gladiator's contestant. Yeah. But um, well, well, actually, not- I want to ask you, because you're the music guy, how long did Jeff Jarrett have this theme music for? Because this theme music was awesome and I didn't remember it at all. It wasn't no country. It was like some funky music. Yeah, I reckon this is just some stock standard one he used probably for maybe two roars and that was it. I like it. It was good. And it had him doing a real, like, he was just Do, like in a, a VR closet doing a voiceover where he was like, there are other WWE superstars and then there's me, Jeff Jarrett. And then into the funky music, it was... Yeah, just odd. It was almost like I don't know if you're if you're a fan of the original Office with uh, Ricky Gervais, but it's the sort of thing that David Brent would do. <laughs> just record his own voiceover. Yeah, 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 and and play it out on his way out there. But um, I've written down here this match couldn't be like Jobber versus Star match if it tried. It looks like an episode of 1993 Raw. 
Yeah, Undertaker's gone from one of the biggest and best matches of all time, Hell in a Cell. He took Survivor Series off. He's back for DX in your house, and he's beating up Jeff Jarrett. And that's it. It's not a match. Jeff Jarrett gets no offense in. Yeah, yeah. Um, They also keep saying it's Jeff Jarrett's WWF debut. Now, at this point in time, he's a former Intercontinental Champion. No. Did they say that? Were they really doing that, pretending he was never there? They kept saying this is his WWF debut. Michael Cole says it beforehand, and during the match, they keep saying it's his WWF debut. He's a former Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, and it wasn't like he was, um, you know, like uh, Axe and then the Repo Man or whatever. He was Jeff Jarrett. He he wasn't a different character. It's not like A Train and Lord Tensai. This is Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> um, now this match just—it's it, really just stalling until Kane enters. Yep. And Kane just completely takes out Jarrett. I'm gonna—I'm gonna say, like Undertaker does a phenomenal job selling how scared—not scared he's, but in awe of Kane. Like that's one thing that I think is very underrated in their original feud. Yeah, and the cameramen did an amazing job. I made note of it too, of getting the facial reactions of The Undertaker and Paul Bearer, and obviously Kane, who you can't see his face, but he does the little head tilts. It was almost like you can see they're getting the reactions because this is all for the video packages that we're going to see for the feud. And it's perfect because I know these shots like of The Undertaker reacting (laughs) from the videos that they would use for, you know, 20 years. It was awesome. It's very, very cool. But, yeah, so Kane enters, takes out Jarrett, um, DQ, and then just for good measure, Undertaker also takes out Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. So welcome back to the WWF, Jeff. Kind of weird because the story goes, you know, Jeff Jarrett came back to the WWE. He was allowed to cut a promo on Raw and he stepped the line. He went into business for himself and mentioned that Austin is immoral for, you know, quoting the Bible and he's going to kick his ass. And supposedly Austin was like, not having none of that. Yeah, I'm not Never wrestling this, this guy. <laughs> oh, it's just such a, like Jeff Jarrett's such an, like you could spend an, and there is an entire podcast discussing Jeff Jarrett. Listen to my world if you haven't had a chance or our interview. Actually, it's funny too, because when Simon and I actually spoke to Jeff Jarrett, it seemed like a great bloke. Oh, seems like a great guy. And that's got to be part of it because he's virtually untouchable. He's had a career forever and he just goes from promotion to promotion. He's done things that you would think, cool, he's going to be blackballed forever. And he's like, nah, he just comes back and, you know, just chugs along. The guy was in the Bullet Club. (laughs) Been in the Bullet Club, in the NWO, in, you know, uh, Immortal and whatever else. He's just in everything. It's just so strange, and, and uh, no doubt is is sitting on global force gold. <laughs> but uh, uh, we get to we get to our next little segment, which is Mark Henry in the crowd. Now, Mark Henry's still a babyface here, but he's oddly sort of is is this the kind of tease towards him joining the nation? I thought it was foreshadowing because he was yeah. injured here, about to come back, and Michael Cole is sitting with Mark Henry in the stands. And he mentioned that Mark Henry is with the executives from Milton Bradley because, of course. Milton Bradley's Karate Fighters was the pay-per-view sponsor for so many yeah. shows. And then he asked Mark Henry, like, oh, who are you hanging out with? And Mark Henry goes into detail about executive names, and you're like, no one knows who they are. Yeah. So Michael Cole has to steer him back, and he's like, yeah, whatever. Who's going to win, The Rock or Stone Cold? And Mark Henry says, oh, Stone Cold for sure. He's my man. I thought it was foreshadowing because 
when Mark Henry returns, he joins the nation. He joins the nation, yeah. 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 Uh, and, in fact, I must have got my timeline mixed up because I thought this is when he does return. Uh, but, uh, but um, yeah, he's still a babyface here. And um, we get a really, really cool package of Austin versus Rock. And we're in real Attitude Era mode here. Very, very cool. Oh, my God. This video was so damn good. Um, so much to break down, too, because this is the first Austin versus Rock match on pay-per-view. Yep. It's their first feud. And you almost forget, like, of course, we know their first world title feud at WrestleMania 15. But God damn, this part of the feud had them brawling, um, you know, in the river with the Intercontinental that title. So cool. That was yeah. the first time they did that. You know, Austin was planning on stunning every member of the nation. We saw that in the video. The Rock stole the IC title as well on Raw and claimed to be the real champion because Austin, you know, didn't want it and whatever. It was an amazing short feud. And I think they captured lightning in a bottle and they must have thought there's something here with these guys because it's instant chemistry. And one of my all-time favorite parts of their any of their feuds is Austin cuts a promo on an episode of Raw and he's like, you better watch your back, Rock, because when the beeper says, you know, 316, I'm coming for you. It almost sounds like just a dumb, cool throwaway line in a promo. Later on in the show, the Rock's looking up at the Titantron and he gets a beep on his beeper and he looks at it, does the bug-eyed expression, you know, thinking, oh my God, it says 316, Austin's behind him. The crowd goes crazy and they brawl. And yeah, one of those, it could only happen in the Attitude Era things. Going back to that, there are so many good moments. So like we talk about the river bit. The bit that I always remember is uh, when Austin gets thrown into the river, how Rock keeps calling him a piece of trash. <laughs> yeah, like, a piece of trash. <laughs> like the smack talk between the both of them is just so good. And you're oh, right. We, this is- we also see Austin drive a truck into the arena for the first time on Raw in the build-up to this. This is where it all starts. It is literally like, and it's so funny because when you watch, and this is the first video package that they sort of, and the first feud, like you mentioned, but it feels so like at home. It's just like, this is, this is perfectly made. It's just everything about Rock and Austin. And you're right. There is nothing. You talk about Brett and, Brett and HBK. You could talk about, I don't know, Edge and Cena. You could talk about whoever, whatever other rivalry. There's just something about Rock versus Austin that was just, absolutely perfect all the time because they got so much mileage out of it. Yeah, it's just perfect. And also, the other crazy thing is, this is The Rock calling himself The Rock for the first time. Like, just the timing of it all, for them to cross paths at this time, it's just perfect. You watch this and you're like, okay, you can see why this becomes the main event a year later at WrestleMania. It's, yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, We get Doc Hendricks talking to The Rock and The Rocky's promos have stepped up another notch. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a short one, but it's his best one on pay-per-view so far. He even calls himself the people's champ and the greatest damn intercontinental champion of all time. I like that he just subtly pulls up Doc Hendricks for not calling him The Rock because he calls him Rocky Maivia. And then when it's his turn to to talk, he's like, uh, it's actually The Rock or whatever. It's, yeah, really good. Very cool. And we get to the match. There is a Rocky Sucks chant that greets him when he comes out. Austin comes out in the pickup truck. And the fun thing that I noticed, did you notice that uh, The Rock is wearing the same attire that he has in WWF Warzone, the video game? 
Uh, I was thinking that for a lot of attires in this show. We'll get to it in the main event as well. But yeah, this brought brought back all the Warzone memories because, yeah, The Rock. It just says The Rock in, like, pink on his tights. It's kind of cool. But, yeah, that is the Warzone outfit. Um, Yeah, so from the first encounter, like, this feels absolutely right. From the beating in the corner, D'Lo gets completely thrown over the top rope, smashes the windscreen of the glass with his foot, but it's still a cool visual. Oh, yeah. Before before getting a stunner on top of the pickup truck. It is just so cool. And one thing that, I, that really stood out, especially after watching all of 1997, very different Austin to the one that we knew at um, pre-SummerSlam, WrestleMania, like his style has completely changed. Yeah, well, you know, a year prior and change at Survivor Series 96, he had one of the best straight-up wrestling matches with Bret Hart. Here, he can't take any bumps on his neck. It's just a straight-up brawl, but it also works. It is totally different. This match, though, the crowd from start to finish, entrance to ending, just crazy the whole time, whether it's Austin Chance, 316 Chance, Rocky, Rocky Sucks Chance. Yeah. It's just energetic. I don't care what your rating scale is. This is a five-star segment because... It is just chaos and excitement the whole time. The the cool part too, there's a moment where it must be the first time, obviously, on a pay-per-view, that Austin and Rock do their, you know, like one-two punches where they punch each other. No one does that better than them two. It's it's the perfect version of it. Like, yeah, their chemistry is perfect. As you as you said, like uh, there's also a people's elbow that's done, but it's a very pedestrian people's <laughs> elbow, and he keeps the pad on too. It wasn't it wasn't all there yet. We're at like ninety five percent rock here. It's so close. Yeah. Um, and now, like I've written down, I've written down the same thing. Crowd is absolutely hot from entire match from start to finish. Short but sweet, but this is match of the night as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 100%. Everything is fun, whether it's, yeah, D'Lo getting stunned on the car, Kama going to hit Austin with the chair, but Austin moves and he smashes Farouk. And just (laughs) everyone is involved because they're all doing their best to, you know, not let Austin really do much, but do what he can. And it's perfect. It's so good. It kind of ends um, in a little kind of... Kind of a weird thing because Austin stuns the referee by accident, which is one of those things. It's one thing to switch in music the ref by accident, but to hit a stunner because you thought the ref was the rock, it was kind of weird, but entertaining still. I I do love how JR's like, he thought it was Rocky. He thought that was Rocky (laughs) by the And then really a nice twist too. The rock pulls out brass knuckles. He yeah. doesn't even get to use them because Austin like knows it's coming and just stuns him and wins. It, it's a really, really fun ending. Very, very cool match. Definitely match of the night. And you can sort of tell from the minute, minute they locked up, everything just worked. It was on all, all cylinders. And yeah, you said it pretty much. You summed it up right there, Simon. There was a reason why this was the main event at WrestleMania uh, a little over a year later. Um, but we get to we get to uh, the main event. There's a hype video for Ken Shamrock. Interesting that they really they really paint Ken Shamrock as a legitimate title contender here. He's he's and how dangerous the ankle lock is. He's put the rock. He's made the rock tap out. He's made HBK tap out. Brett Savio Vega Vader. Like there's this package of showing how devastating the ankle lock is. Yeah, they did a great job with him. If we say you know he debuted at WrestleMania 13. Just as a referee, you know, sort of with the reputation of being the UFC fighter, slowly building it as, oh, he's new to wrestling, but he's he's really talented. 
to main event a pay-per-view by December. It's pretty good. And he was legit. You know, the crowd bought it. They did a great job building him up. The part about the promo that stood out to me was when they were like, Ken Shamrock is crazy. And we saw him yelling, but then there was the sit down interview with him where he was kind of just mumbling. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited about this match. <laughs> like, it's, that That's unfortunately what would let him down. You know, he needed yeah. in the same way that Brock Lesnar benefited from Paul Heyman. If Ken Shamrock had Paul Heyman, you know, it'd be all on. It'd be, yeah, it really would. But um, we did that cool little follow them from the back uh, to the entranceway sort of arena thing that they did for the main event. And then when the music kicks up, did you notice in the crowd too that like there was a, a sign for Ken Shamrock and the S's were those weird like line S's that we all used to do in primary school back in the day? Oh, the cool, the cool S, like the block S. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that kid did it, you know, in like detention or something. Really, really cool stuff there. And um, now here's the other one. So we talked about Triple H's promo being full of like dick jokes and penis jokes. How juvenile was HBK's promo? And it's just basically hostile towards JR the entire time. <laughs> because JR says something like, oh, you've been real disrespectful. And Shawn Michaels is like, I'm never disrespectful, you fat tub of goo. <laughs> it's just, yeah. And then the line that got me, like fat tub of goo is like, whatever, that's just t- childish. But he then calls him Girth Brooks. Girth. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, it feels like JR's feelings are really hurt. <laughs> that's what makes it funnier too. Um, we we get into uh, <laughs> we get into the the match. Here's another one. We've got got to throw this out there. Sean also in his WWF Warzone gear. Yep, one of my all time favorite outfits though. The black and green DX outfit that Sean Michaels had was so sick. And yeah, seeing it in Warzone was amazing. And and it's funny too how he never really went back that look ever again. Yeah, that's true. But I was- I like the the. There was only a couple of like custom DX outfits that he wore, and they were all good. It was only for what three months. Yeah, yeah. Before, um, because because at, at WrestleMania eight, at WrestleMania fourteen, he's got the the famous red tights uh, mm. that are also in WrestleMania two thousand. But um, <laughs> yeah. Look, we, we get to it's a, this is actually a really good showing from Ken Shamrock. Yeah, like, he's actually really really good. Like we've seen, like for example. Look at, say, Tito Ortiz when he got into the ring. Like, oh, it was awful. Rampage Jackson, all these other dudes that weren't actual or UFC fighters that came in. Tank Abbott, awful. But Ken Shamrock, he's doing, he's actually doing moves and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they meshed pretty well. It's like Shawn Michaels was going out of his way to try and have a good match with Ken Shamrock too. There were times you could clearly see and hear Shawn Michaels like calling the spots, but it doesn't matter. He did what he had to do and he gave Ken Shamrock all of the classic heel Shawn Michaels spots where he'd like get kicked and bounce off the turnbuckle and land crotch first on the ropes and get pushed and do two flips backwards down the aisle. Like he did everything to make Shamrock look like a monster, which is kind of funny because I never realized it because I haven't seen this match forever. But Shawn Michaels is kind of bigger than Ken Shamrock, but yeah, he's still obviously Shamrock's a monster. So Shawn sells that for him. And yeah, two super athletic guys having a pretty good match. You know, it's a good match. That's it. I, I've actually written, I've, I wrote down here, Shamrock is very believable as a challenger here. Like you, yeah. if he put, like you honestly thought, you know, if you didn't know backstage stuff and all that sort of stuff, but in 1997, I'd actually sort of go, yeah, yeah, this is, 
this would probably uh, he he could be the champion. Yeah, when you hear the rumors that you know Brett considered, oh, what if we put the belt on Shamrock instead of Sean? Shamrock looked like a main eventer. If he was mixing yeah. it up with Brett, Sean, and Austin, if that Vader. was the main event scene and Vader and all these guys, yeah, it works. He fits with them. Another thing too that I, I really popped me was when Shamrock does the meeting of the mind. So Triple H and and um, Triple H and HBK are outside, and Shamrock does that thing that like from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie where he smacks their heads together. <laughs> yeah. There is a line from JR that is fantastic because he's like, Helmsley's nose would have gone through HBK's skull. <laughs> that's that's JR getting revenge for all their childish jokes. The best part too is the best part is like um, JR is peak smart ass. We're talking about DX because there's a line there too where um <laughs> where King asked him, hey, JR, why don't you call ABC and see if they want to check in on the world's most dangerous man? Yeah. And JR responds with, I'd love to, King, but I'm currently busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a surprisingly good match. Um, it slows down in the middle, which, which you know, turns into rest hold city. But, um, mm. but yeah, I thought it was a really uh, – look, look at it this way. Compare, like, say, Ken Shamrock to Los Bariquas or the other millions of wrestlers that were just floating around in 1997, considering the fact that he was just, an, as you said, a referee at WrestleMania 13, and now he's having a WWF title match. It's pretty. It's a big rise. Or if we compare him to a guy who just showed up in 97 and got a push, the Patriot, I'll take yeah. Ken Shamrock any day. Like, you know, I'm sure Shawn Michaels could have got an okay match out of him too, but this was good. You know, they did a lot of cool stuff. There was one point where I think I've, you know, pointed out months ago, but Ken Shamrock does a lot of Irish whips. And there was a point yeah. where Ken Shamrock did like four Irish whip moves in a row, but they were all cool. He does like, you know, the the spinning calf kick type thing. And he does the mm. hurricane rana and he does, you know, belly to bellies. It was good. Yeah. He, so the finish is a belly to belly into an ankle lock and then China and Triple H uh, come in and cause the DQ. Um, bit of shenanigans happening towards the end, and out of nowhere, Owen Hart takes out HBK, and there are some stiff shots from Owen. Does Owen have his thumbs in HBK's eyes? Yeah, I think that's what he was going for to make it look more real. But it was a great um, sort of post-match thing because it felt kind of flat, like DX just running in and getting a DQ finish. But Owen knocking Sean in the table, and then yeah, trying to gouge his eyes out. It was good. And the crowd, when they realized it was Owen, they started an Owen chant and, you know, it felt like the start of something, but yeah, it's a real shame. This kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. It, it, it was a, it was a, like it writes itself, but anyway, it, it, it's, it's a strange one. I've written down that we've got an NWO ending to the pay-per-view because DX stands tall, their music playing. And even though Shamrock's won by DQ, it ends with DX standing tall. Oh, which is one of my favorite things ever, though, because I think we've mentioned how WWE would do this and WCW wouldn't, where the Fink on the on the announcement says the winner of the match by disqualification, Ken Shamrock, to get the crowd to pop. They let it linger for a couple of minutes, and then he says, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> still the champion, Shawn Michaels, just to bring you down. So that was so good. Did you, did you happen to notice it when they're going to do their little poses on the side of the ring? that Triple H kind of loses his balance a little bit and has to sort of rewrite himself. 
<laughs> that would have been uh, an embarrassing ending to the pay-per-view named after your faction if he just tumbled. You could tell that he was PO'd that happened too. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> but um, look, all in all, I reckon the back end of this pay-per-view makes up for the sins of the front end. And there's not even that much. Like it starts off with Takamichinoku uh, with an absolute barn burner, completely forgettable next couple of matches. And then Rock saves Rock Austin saves it and, and Triple H and oh you could you could argue that the, the, the slaughter, match. Yeah, the boot camp match was kind of good too. Yeah, it's kind of a weird um curiosity to watch it like oh boot camp match with slaughter and triple H. It is a it's entertaining. It's not great, but it's kind of cool, like just this weird footnote in time that that yeah. match even happened. Um, but I think you're right. The back end of this pay-per-view was a look into the future of what wrestling would look like, you know, the energetic kind of athletic main event, but also just that crazy ass brawl with Rock and Austin. Those two matches, yeah, which really all up, that's about an hour of the show. That is yeah, a yeah. solid hour of WWE, you know, late 90s wrestling. Pretty damn good. Pretty good. So as you put a bow on this one, that wraps up 1997 for the WWF. Uh, we'll get into the final WCW pay-per-view. We'll get our buddy Owen to jump on board as we check out Starcade 1997. But uh, final thoughts about, I guess we'll go WWF as a whole in 1997. When you think about it, we didn't really have any bad pay-per-views, did we? Nothing was awful, but it definitely stepped up another level once we hit July. Yep. You know, from Canadian Stampede onwards, that is one hell of a a six-month run that we've seen. Everything was good. Did you find it uh, interesting that, like, I didn't once miss Bret Hart at all? For this last, oh, yeah, on this this show, yeah. On this show. He doesn't exist anymore. You don't even notice that he's not a part of anything. Like, when you think about it, we've literally had 11 pay-per-views with Bret Hart as, at some point in time, a major part of that company. And this is the first pay-per-view where he's not there and you don't even care. Like, it's a a nothing because, as you said, you're building towards the future. Aside from Owen coming out of the end, there's no real link to the Hart Foundation at all. And they've moved on and it really doesn't matter. It never matters again, unfortunately, for Bret. It, okay, it's interesting. If we were saying who is the MVP of the first six months of 97, you could even argue that it's Brett. Brett is a huge oh. part. He has amazing matches still, really cool stuff with the turn into the Heart Foundation, becomes champion at SummerSlam as well. Like, but he's kind of not the focus still, even though he's doing great stuff. If we were to say the MVP overall for 97, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's not it's even close for Stone WWE. Cold. Yeah. However, he saved how- every pay-per-view, I think, even the the ones that weren't great. However, like, and I'm I fully agree with you on Austin being the MVP of 97. Like, even when he's out with the injury, he's still the best thing on the show. You don't get, I don't think you get as good of an Austin run if it wasn't for him screwing Brett out of winning the 97 Rumble. Yeah, that's true. And that's where it all starts. <laughs> that's true. So, and obviously, you know, Brett and Austin at WrestleMania and Canadian Stampede and, you know, the, the other rematch. So there was a lot. Um, yeah. So, unfortunately for Brett, it seems like he had to fall so Steve Austin could rise kind of thing. And also, he had to fall to put all the heat on Sean 
for Sean to be the one for Austin to beat. It all, unfortunately, worked out. Who who gets the award this year? Because last year we gave the award for the, uh, the Psycho Sid inexplicably over for the year award and, you know, slash Lex Luger in WCW. No one really did it in 97. The only person I could, the only group that I can think of that did it was LOD. Yeah, that's true. Because you know what? I'm the early months of 97, we kept saying, we're like, yeah, this is it for him, for LOD. I'm pretty sure (laughs) this is where it tapers off. It never, it never really tapered off, actually. Might be LOD, who's still got an LOD pop in December of 97. So, And, and let's not forget, too, like there is never one time, except for at WrestleMania 13, there is never a time where we've gone, boy, that LOD match really stood out. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> been some like weird ones that are okay, but yeah, I guess it's LOD, just stayed over. And LOD get it by default. <laughs> yeah, they basically <laughs> got it because no one else got came close. Oh, it's such a strange year. But when you think about it, it's such an a really, really odd year for the WWF. I mean, we said this numerous times, but 1997 Royal Rumble starts uh, and Degeneration in Your House, two completely different companies. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, the presentation, even the tagline for this show was attitude is everything. You know, we're moving into something completely different now. It's not the same product. Gone is the flashy logo and, yeah, the cheesy intro. It's, yeah, totally different. What about as we wrap it up for the WWE and, you know, relive the war for them in 97, what was the pay-per-view of the year? Hands down, Canadian Stampede. Yeah. Like, top to bottom, because it's a short card, it's the last of the two hour in your houses. So it's kind of concentrated into <laughs> yeah, yeah. great stuff all the time. Except for the, is that the one with the minis? The minis are at Canadian Stampede, aren't they? No, they're not. No, Canadian Stampede just was uh, the the big match at the end. Vader and The Undertaker, which was shockingly good. Yeah. Um, Triple H and Mankind and oh, Tucker yeah, versus Great Sasuke. It was just the yeah. weirdest card. Yeah, it was, um, what's the one with the minis? Because I remember just thinking that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, bad but, blood uh, when they have to bring them out. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Canadian Stampede, purely because everything works perfectly for it. You got a hot crowd, matches that actually have meaning, every single one of them. There's no filler and it's nicely packaged in two hours. Yeah, it's perfect. The perfect little version of the best of WWE for 97. If we're going match of the year, it's weird because we've watched it all back and it's the same two matches that I would debate any other time, even just off the top of my head. Is it Bret Hart and Austin at WrestleMania 13 or is it Hell in a Cell? To me, it's one or the other, but I can't can't separate them. To me, it's Hell, uh, Hell in a Cell because it's such a perfect storyline. Um, yeah. Austin, and also because Austin versus, I feel like, like don't get me wrong, WrestleMania 13 is a fantastic match, but we saw a really good Austin um, Bret Hart match at Survivor Series 96. This one is just a great match because it's got all those ramifications of like Austin finally become a mega, mega star. Whereas storyline wise, wrestling wise, everything makes sense perfectly for um, for the Hell in a Cell match. Like, Every there is not a single thread you can pull where you go, oh, but because mm. everything works out so good. The matches are hell in a cell because they want to stop DX getting involved. Kane comes out, it builds up so much, like everything peaks right there. 
And then, of course, the next match that the Undertaker has is against Jeff Jarrett. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Okay, maybe it is Hell in a Cell. And you know what? Watching it back, like we mentioned, it felt like a movie. It just builds yeah. different parts of the match. I don't know. 97, though, damn solid for WWE. Very much so. Well, let's see how WCW are going to do. Like I said, we're going to get our buddy Owen to jump on board, and I, for one, cannot wait because I have a feeling he's going to have his socks rocked off when he finally realizes the the WCW's WrestleMania, uh, which is should be interesting to see. But uh, make sure you catch up on the rest of the archives at greywolfentertainment.net. Follow us on the socials at greywolfent. But for Simon, my name is Ben Nimzizor. This has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time for Starcade 1997. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.